I already said good morning, so I'm not doing that again. <laughs> you guys did great. I enjoyed uh, singing with you this morning, worshiping God. Uh, what a beautiful name it is, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Um, Pastor Dave is gone. I mean, you may have noticed that he wasn't here today. He is on a mission trip in Panama. Oh, wait, wait. He's on a cruise through the Panama Canal. <laughs> <clears throat> so, suffering for the Lord, as he likes to say. Um, anyway, he's, he's doing all right. So my hand uh, was injured this week, my left hand. Don't know how. It, uh, I woke up uh, and my hand hurt. Now, I, for those of you who are young, um, when you get old and fat, <laughs> things just start breaking. Like, it's not like it is now. We're like, oh, I skinned my knee, I fell off my skateboard. It's just like, I was living, I breathed wrong, something's broken. That's how, that's how it works. So this is an important concept in the fallenness of the world. You need to understand this. Either way, I woke up, my hand, like right in here, it's like sprained, okay? Didn't know what it was. I was hoping I'd go to sleep the next night and I would wake up and it'd be gone. That didn't work out. So my hand was, was injured. No big deal. There are worse things in life. But I realized as I was thinking about it, how much harder things are to do with only one hand that works, right? I noticed, for instance, how difficult it is just to do simple things like put on your pants. So I've tried to put your pants on with one hand. I didn't do the like hoppy, like dancey thing that sometimes you do. Some of you are like, I don't know what that. Yeah, you do. You got the one leg in. Other leg goes for it, misses the leg, hits kind of the middle of it, and you're, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, maybe you fall down, maybe you don't, you pull it off, you're like, I hope nobody saw that. You look over, there's your wife and her friend who never liked you at the door. I'm not saying this has happened, I'm just saying that kind of thing can happen, right? In any case, uh, actually, I, I did not do the dancing, but I, I did get my pants up, but then I started thinking uh, how much this is like how some of us, or all of us sometimes probably, live the life of a Christ follower. Sometimes we're living that life with one hand tied behind our back and making things that ought to be more simple much more difficult. Much more difficult. Um, the Father draws us to himself, right? We have this, this time, this moment of salvation. Romans 10, 9 says, that as you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart, that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. If that's you this morning and you haven't done that, you can be saved. That thing happens. But when it happens, after it happens, we don't just, you know, go hibernate. I've thought hibernation sounds pretty good for me. Again, kids are like, whatever. I'm like, listen, get old and fat. You'll be like, yeah. Going down for the winter, yeah, eating a lot, and then just going down for the winter, waking up thin. Come on. You know that would be nice. People are like, I don't, I don't. Yeah, you do. You, again, come on. I'm not the only one. Um, but you don't do that, right? You don't get saved and then just go, okay, I'm going to go wait in a room for the Lord to either come back and get me or until this body of death goes, dies, and I go to be with him. There's nothing else to do. No, you have to keep going, right? You have to start living that everlasting life now. Sometimes that life is difficult, and we need two hands to handle the difficulties. But sometimes we tie one behind our back. Sometimes we tie one behind our back. And there's a number of ways that that can happen. You can have that sort of useless hand for a number of reasons. And sometimes we wonder. You'll talk to people or maybe yourself and you'll be like, why, I just am not feeling the presence of the Lord. I'm just not feeling the joy of the Lord. I'm just not feeling like I'm walking in that. And then you gotta ask yourself some questions about whether you have tied one hand behind your back. 
in one of a number of ways. One could just be a lifestyle of sin that you're just not willing to give up, that the Lord is having to break you down about. One could just be that we disobey God's exhortation and command to serve the body of Christ we belong to by gathering together with our brothers and sisters. Hebrews 10, 24 to 25 says, And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much more as you see the day approaching. Sometimes it's as simple as the fact that we're not studying God's word. Hebrews 4, 12 to 13, For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. This is what we're going to be kind of focusing on now because we're going to be getting into some deep Bible scripture study. And I want us to think about how we really tie in our hand behind our back if we're not studying the word of God. Listen to 2 Timothy 3, 12 through 17. It says, yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Okay, no surprise there. All of us who desire to live as true Christ followers, obeying all that he has commanded, we will deal with persecution in this world. If you're like, wait a second, I thought signing up to be a Christian meant we're going to be just kind of dancing through the tulips and there's like rainbows and there's a little flying unicorn coming. That's not how it works, right? You still live in a fallen world for right now. That time is coming. It won't look like that. But that time is coming when there is no more pain and no more suffering and evil is, is completely gone. Christ has already defeated all of that, and the time will come when he comes to rule and reign. That will happen. But for now, you're going to suffer some persecution. The next verse says, but evil men and imposters will go worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. So what you're seeing today, as you look around, as you watch the news, as you talk to people, it's not a surprise, okay? God warned us that things would be the way that they are now, as we get to the end of the age. It's not a secret. 2,000 years ago. But evil men and apostles will go worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. There are liars who are deceiving and being deceived. They're running around on the earth. And we're told here in this next part how to deal with these problems. Listen. But you must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. All of it, everything in here was inspired by God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. When we do not know the scriptures, when we are not in the scriptures, we are tying one hand behind our back in terms of the life of a Christ follower. You just simply are. We're told that the scripture is profitable. It makes us wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. It is sharper than any two-edged sword. It is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. It is there for us so you may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Equipped. Now, what happens if you don't have proper equipment and you go out to do a job? You can't do the job. Without the proper equipment, the job is not getting done. My son, Ethan, who plays the drums up here, he works for a company that uh, like installs dishwashers and makes soap 
and, and stuff like that. And he uh, was sent out with another, you know, he's, he's 19, so he was sent out to this job in that story. It was kind of exciting. You go out there, you spend the night, you do the whole thing. So he goes out there with, a, with another fella, and they go out there to, to install this dishwasher, and they get there, and they've got the hotel and everything. They go over to do the job, and they start to do it, and they realize they don't have a piece of equipment that they need to do it. So guess what happened? The job didn't get done. The job didn't get done, right? If you don't have the equipment, you're not going to get the job done. If this is what you need to be equipped and you don't use it, how are you going to do the job? How are you going to do the job? You're going to be trying to put your pants on with one hand. And people will watch you metaphorically, as a Christ follower, stumbling all over yourself tripping all over yourself, doing the little pants dance because you don't have both hands because you haven't equipped yourself with the scriptures. I don't even know, by the way, how the guys with skinny jeans do that if they had one hand. I don't know. I mean, first, why, right, on the skinny jeans thing, but then how? How I see that, I'm like, how do you get into that? How long does that take you? I'd be like, and you get, I mean, once I got them on, they'd never come off, you know? They'd be cutting, they'd be one time where they'd be like disposable, because I'm cutting those things off. Anyway, it's uh, worth it though, guys, just keep doing it. It's, trust me, it's going to age well. Yeah. 10 years from now, no one's going to make fun of you for that. <clears throat> Bell bottoms. Anyway, no, everything lasts a long time. It's fine. In any case, <laughs> we got to realize we cannot walk after the Lord without the equipment to be ready for the battle, Okay. In Ephesians chapter 6, you can go back in, in your own uh, time and read about the whole armor of God, what you need. What's the equipment look like? The helmet of salvation, sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, right? All that good stuff. Breastplate of righteousness, belt of truth, all these things you need. And you can extend that idea into the shield wall, meaning that you don't only need those things, but you need other people who have those things to be together with you. That is the church, right? You need that equipment, you need your brothers and sisters in Christ. You need the word of God. You need these things. If you take these things away, you are hamstringing yourself. You are walking around trying to do it with one hand tied behind your back. So we all, we all need this because I don't want to see anybody in this church hopping around like they can't get their pants on because they've got one hand that's not working. You know, I would look at these two hands kind of as gathering with the church Reading and knowing the scripture. Those are things that are just, that are given to us, that are commanded of us, so that we can walk with the Lord. So we're in a new series, Romans, simple name, not hard to remember. If you've been with us long, you uh, may have studied with us through the book of Acts. Didn't take that long, three years, I think. <laughs> and we've gone through the Sermon on the Mount, we've gone through First and Second Thessalonians, we've gone, you know, we've, we studied the Word, we studied the Word of God here. Lately we've been doing some stuff that was a little bit more like... Uh, aimed at, we did the identity series, we did the white life series, they were aimed in kind of a different direction, but we're back to what I would call our default or normal, going through the word of God verse by verse. And we are beginning a study of a book of the Bible letter that is transformational in understanding what we believe as Christ followers. If you want to understand kind of as a Christ follower, you want to move forward. You've got, you, you've done the thing, you got saved. You're there, like you get all that, but you want to like move forward. You want to understand the whole picture. You understand what's going on. Romans is going to give you so much of that tying the Old and the New Testament together. And so as we walk through this, Lord willing, you will be transformed in your understanding.
there are a couple of things I want us to think about as we study Romans. Uh, and they come because of the way that maybe people are used to hearing preaching or what they expect from preaching. Um, the first one is, this is God's word, it's the scriptures, and that means that it says what it says, and not everything that it says is going to be about direct and instant application to your life. Okay, there's kind of a, a lot of people, when they go and hear a sermon, it's like, where's the application? By which they mean, how can I take what, you've, what, what we've preached about today and immediately apply it to some situation within my life? Sometimes when we study the Word of God, it's not directly or instantly applied to becoming a better man or a better woman or a better husband or a better wife or a better sister, brother, son, or daughter, better employee, better business person, better TikTok influencer, whatever it is that y'all are doing out that TikTok influencer, I don't even know what that is, but that's, that's a thing apparently. Um, sometimes we're just learning about God and who he is, how awesome he is, how powerful and great he is, how amazing and beautifully complex his plan is. And it's not really about us. It's not really about us directly and how we can take this and apply it to our life directly. So if you get done, we get done with a sermon on Romans or a couple of them and you go, I'm just not sure how this applies to me. I just want to warn you with, it's not always going to be about you. It's about God, right? Sometimes the way it applies to you is you're getting to know God better. You're getting to know who he is. You're getting to understand his plan. It's not, it's not that the scripture doesn't apply to your life. It's because lots of things that we learn help us to understand the big picture and not just sort of the instant small application. So for instance, if I were the coach of a baseball team, like little kids, uh, t-ball or whatever, I didn't play t-ball, but I played like the little kids baseball, it wasn't very good. Um, I wouldn't start with teaching kids how to swing a bat. It's not where I would start as a coach. I would start with several lectures <laughs> on the game of baseball, all right? How the game works, what the mission of a baseball team is, what kinds of overall strategies would make this team successful overall. I want them to see the whole field and understand the big concepts. This is probably why no one has asked me to be the coach of a baseball team. I think so. But let me tell you why. Because the kids, they want to hit baseballs and catch baseballs, right? I get it. Like, they want to just get to it. Now, the lectures would put them so much further forward than the other, the other kids, because now they'd understand not just how, because you're going to learn how to hit, you're going to learn how to catch. But now you understand the game. It would have helped them do that, but they just want to hit baseballs and catch baseballs. Now, that's what kids do, but you are not kids. You are not kids. And scripture was written for serious Christ followers. Not everything, so to speak, is going to get you in a situation to hit baseballs and catch baseballs. Sometimes you're just learning the game. Sometimes you're just understanding God's plan and marveling at it. And so don't get too tied into whether or not it's particularly applicable to what you're going through in this particular situation because by learning this, you're going to understand what applies to all situations in your life. I do not see the role of a teaching pastor, which is what I am here at this church, one of the pastors, I'm the teaching pastor. I don't see the role as telling you what to do. I know that you guys love to be told what to do. I've seen that with, with politics lately. People are really enjoying that. That's been fun. Um, I can tell. No one gets upset about that. That's, that's cool. But I'm not here to tell you what to do in that sense, okay?
What I'm here to do is teach you the word of God. And when it gets in you, you will know what to do because you'll be living in the spirit. Okay? So I just want to, I just want to tell you that up front. Just in case you're tempted to come and say, Pastor David, I'm just not sure these are applying to my life. Because I'll be nicer than this, but what I'll be thinking is, it's not about you. Okay? I won't be nicer than that. That's what I'm going to say. You heard it here, so now you're responsible. I won't say that. I'm super nice. Okay. All right. Second, reading and studying books is work. Reading and studying books is work. If you read a book written this year, like 2022, right? It's not been long this year, but let's say you did. You read a book written this year. You're probably going to understand most of it, like contextually, right? Because you live in this culture. You get it. They're going to be talking about things that you're familiar with. It's going to be easy. It's like, you know, some person from the United States writes a book in 2022. You're going to get it mostly. There's not going to be a lot that is outside of what you understand culturally or whatever, unless maybe it's written by a very young person or a very old person or somebody who, for some other reason, you have a cultural miss with. Most likely, you're going to get it. But not all books were written in 2022, and you can't ask the Bible, which was written at a different time and in a different culture, to have been written in 2022. What would the people in the first century have done if Paul was writing about cell phones and Facebook? They would have been like, I don't know what that is. And the same for you. There's some things that are written there that you're going to go, I don't know what that is. What's our job? Our job is to do the work of understanding it, understanding the context so that we can understand what's written. The amazing thing, honestly, the miracle is how understandable it is when you think about how long ago it was written and the culture it was written in. Not that there aren't similarities between the Roman culture and ours. More and more, that seems to be the case. But that's more of a moral thing than a pure cultural thing. But the fact that most people could open a Bible and understand it pretty well is the real miracle. That's the real miracle. Because I can tell you, if you read Shakespeare and you don't have an understanding of England in the late 1500s, early 1600s, you are not going to know what's going on. And so why would you expect to read Romans without an understanding of Roman in the 100s, right? Here's some Shakespeare. I wrote some down just to give you an idea of what I'm talking about. <clears throat> I'm going to do a little acting for you. Here we go. This is from Romeo and Juliet. All right. How turn thy back and run? This is Gregory talking. You knew that. And then Samson comes back and says, fear me not. The other guy says, no, Mary, I fear thee. The other guy says, let us take the law of our sides. Let them begin. The next guy says, I will frown as I pass by and let them take it as they list. Nay, as they dare, I will bite my thumb at them, which is a disgrace to them if they bear it. Do you bite? Now he's bitten his thumb. The other guy says, do you bite your thumb at us, sir? I do bite my thumb, sir. Do you bite your thumb at us, sir? Is the law on our side if I say I? He's saying this to his friend. His friend then says, no. Then he says, no, sir, I do not bite my thumb at you, sir, but I bite my thumb, sir. Do you quarrel, sir? Quarrel, sir? No, sir. Thank you. I think I missed my calling. Um, that's a bunch of nonsense if you don't know what was going on in the late 1500s in England, okay? So if you read that in English, you're probably not going to understand the passage very well when you first read it unless you get some context for the time period. Biting your thumb at someone at that time in culture would have been an insult and an invitation to fight, 
But if you saw someone biting his thumb now, you would not think, oh, this guy wants to rumble. <laughs> right? You'd be like, what is wrong with this guy biting his thumb over there? Like, that's odd, right? Because culturally, the context is different. My whole point is, when you read the scriptures, you got to understand the context. An even more easy example is just go watch, like, if you have grandkids or you have younger kids, go watch a movie where someone talks on a phone with a cord on it, or like there's an answering machine, and your kid's like, what, what is that, right? A cassette tape. They're like, what are these things? What, that's what you guys had to do? You couldn't even, like, take that phone in your car? Like, we had a really long, some of us had a really long cord, though, right? You go, like, all the way to the other room, then you put it back, and it's like, and it gets all, uh, you remember this? People are like, oh, the good old days. No, they were terrible. They were terrible. Um, cell phones are much easier. The point is, context matters. And if you don't know it, you won't fully get it. And we want to fully get it. We want to dive into the scriptures. We want to understand that the Holy Spirit inspired Paul to write this, not just for them, but for us, that we could understand who he is. So we have to make sure that we read the scripture with the culture in mind. And secondly, we have to make sure that we do not take our 2022 view of culture and put it into the scriptures or read it into the scriptures. You know, we went through this whole thing about progressive Christianity recently, right? We did that white lie series, if you were here for that. And a lot of what happens there is they go, well, my 2022 sensibilities say you fill in the blank. Okay, Lord willing, we'll get into this as we get into Romans because they had all kinds of messed up thoughts too. But they go, well, we think this about sex or this about money or this about whatever in 2022. And so that must be what they meant also. And so they read their 2022 into 57 AD and they get very broken and very lost and start teaching some very bad theology. And it's very broken and and they convince people that they can call themselves Christ followers while completely ignoring what's actually said here because they want to bring in their own stuff to it. So we got to be careful about that. Take it for what it is, for what it says, because it speaks powerfully from the Holy Spirit. All right. (sighs) By the way, I don't read Shakespeare very often. If you're wondering, like, well, he probably reads a lot of Shakespeare. No, I do not read a lot of Shakespeare. We do have, uh, like, a bunch of those little books, and I put them there to make me look smart in our house. Um, but I do not read them. All right. And actually, when I read Shakespeare, I'm like, I am dumb. I, I do not. This is in English, and I cannot tell you what these people are talking about. But that's, you know. But the Bible, I actually understand quite well. So that's good. All right. So as we begin our study in the book of Romans, I want to start by, we're going to start by understanding who Paul is. Okay? Let's, let's start with context. And by the way, if I go a little long today, let's not forget that we had to reset that clock several times. Okay? And that last song was really long. So I don't want it all coming on me. All right, all right. Who's Paul? Paul is the person who the Holy Spirit uh, inspired. This is all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. He was inspired by God to write the book. That doesn't mean that God took his hand and started writing it, or that God handed it to him from heaven. That's not that's not how Scripture is written. Paul was a person who God used, kind of like God uses you. Okay, he used Paul in this case. He was by inspiration of the Holy Spirit that God sent the scriptures down to us through our brothers and sisters in Christ. They're the ones who are, have always been around. Now, I don't know if any of our sisters in Christ wrote the Bible, but some people think that Hebrews was written by uh, one of the uh, women in the early church. I don't subscribe to that theory for a couple of reasons. I think Paul wrote it. But um, the point is uh, we, we see God working through us. 
working through people, okay? So um, after that, we're going to talk about the Romans and the Roman church, the churches there, um, because you need some background on the culture where they lived and on the culture of their churches. So that's what we're really going to be walking through today. This is a prep. We're not going to get into verse 1 of Romans today. We're going to get it. This, I'm telling you, this goes slow, okay? That's work. It's work. But we're going to get all this context. So I want to set you up so that you understand who God used to write this book, the Holy Spirit inspired to write this book, and who he was writing to at the time and what they were going through, because that's going to lay out the context for everything that we study here in these chapters of Romans. Now, Paul, who was also called Saul, by the way, and it wasn't, some people think that it was Saul until he became a Christian, and it was Paul. No, it's just one is the Greek and one is the Hebrew name. You'll see that actually in other places in Scripture where people go by a Hebrew name, but they also go by a Greek name because of the way the culture was. No big deal. Saul, Paul, interchangeable. We generally call him Paul. Um, he's a Jewish Christian okay, who began as a Pharisee before he was a Christian. He studied under the teaching of Gamaliel, one of the most eminent Jewish rabbis of that time rabbis, teachers. So he was trained by one of the most eminent teachers in Judaism at the time. He was a committed, uncompromising Jewish man. Okay, you have to understand, zealous, zealous for the law. He was all about being a Jew. And there was a lot of arrogance in it, right? He was, you know, he saw himself as God's chosen person. He, was, he had been taught by the best. He was incredibly talented, very smart, and so he was very zealous as a Jewish man. Now, when Christ rose from the dead and the Holy Spirit came upon the church at Pentecost, the Jewish leaders were looking to destroy the Christian church. Why? It was a threat to their power, okay? Remember, Christianity started with Jews who came to believe that Jesus was the Messiah, the Christ, and so those folks who are saying Christ is king, we follow him, the Messiah has come, are a threat to those who walked around and were given lots of praise and honor as the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the leaders of the Jewish people. So they did not like it. So they tried to stamp it out. They tried to stamp it out. Now, Paul was on their side, on the side of those who were trying to stamp out Christianity, and he persecuted Christians. I mean, he persecuted Christians. He was a terror to the church. It was actually Paul who was standing there when Stephen, the deacon in the church at Jerusalem, was stoned to death as the first martyr in Christ's church. Listen to this, Acts 7, 57 through 58. Then they cried out with a loud voice, stopped their ears, and ran at him. This is Stephen they're running at. With one accord, and they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. So he's standing there. And they're going to they're stone this guy. And he's the guy who's standing there saying, yeah, go do it. Go do it. The witnesses are laying their coats down at his feet. He was all for it. The first person killed in the church. That's who Paul was. When Paul gave his defense to the Jews, so Paul had come to Jerusalem. This is after the end of his third missionary journey. I highly recommend, by the way, that you go back and listen to three years of Acts sermons so you get all that uh, if you really want to understand Paul. It's, uh, you, can, you can binge it. It's like 10 seasons of something. It's great. Uh, anyway, it's, I don't know if it's great, but, you, you know, whatever. Um, after his third missionary journey, he comes back to Jerusalem, right? And they, man, they're not, they're not happy. The Jews beat him up. They're, this tumult starts in the city. 
tumult, is that a word? Okay. Uh, it starts, and, and then Paul, he gets taken, so the, so the Roman guard like grabs him and is like, hey, you know, we don't want this tumult, so we're taking this guy to prison. He thinks he's this Egyptian assassin or whatever. He's like, no, I'm Paul. I'm a Roman citizen. Let me talk to these people. I'll settle this. I'll talk to him. And so this is, this is him describing himself to the Jewish leaders. He says this. This is Acts 22, 1 through 5. Brethren and fathers, hear my defense before you now. And when they heard that, he spoke to them in the Hebrew language. They kept all the more silent. Then he said, I am indeed a Jew, born in Tarsus of Cilicia, but brought up in this city at the feet of Gamaliel, taught according to the strictness of our father's law. And was zealous toward God, as you all are today. I persecuted this way. The way there is capitalized. That's what they called Christians, the way. Okay? I persecuted this way to the death, binding and delivering into prisons both men and women, as also the high priest bears me witness, and all the counsel of the elders, from whom I also received letters to the brethren and went to Damascus to bring in chains, even those who were there to Jerusalem to be punished. So he was, not only was he persecuted in Jerusalem, he's like, give me letters from like the, the Sanhedrin, from the council, give me letters that say I can go up to Damascus, grab any Christians who were there, chain them up and bring them back here to be punished. He was all about it. He was going to stamp it out. That's who he was. A sinner, an enemy of Christ's church and saved by grace. Some of us who follow Christ or who are being drawn to God or wherever you may be in your life right now, sometimes you feel like you can't possibly be saved because of what you've done. It's just too much. It's too much. If, if, if anybody really knew, and God does, there's no way God could love you. There's no way God could forgive. Um, let me tell you something. Paul was literally the enemy of the church, persecuting Christ followers for being Christ followers. It doesn't get much worse than that. He was persecuting Christ. When Christ appears to him, he says, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Right? The body of Christ, that's, that's who he was against. So whatever you've done, whatever it is, yeah, God can forgive you. God has grace for you. Yeah. So he experienced the saving grace of God through the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross and the hope because Jesus rose from the dead and then appeared to, to Paul. That's when he was converted. Now, a passage that will help you understand Paul's letter to the Romans is in 1 Timothy chapter 1. Because you've got to understand, again, now you know a little bit about who he was. Now, let's talk about how he thinks about himself. It says this. This is uh, 1 Timothy 1, 12 through 17. If you need, by the way, there are Bibles in front of you in these, in these chairs. If you don't have a Bible at home, take one of those home with you. That's our gift. It doesn't cost anything. It's yours. We want you to have the Word of God. It's incredibly important. So you don't have one hand tied behind your back. It says, and I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has enabled me because he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. So he's really happy about that. I thank God. He's the one that the Holy Spirit enables me. He's counted me faithful. He's put me in the ministry. Although I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an insolent, like super arrogant, insolent man, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief, and the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant. His grace was incredibly abundant powerful and full. Abundance, exceedingly abundant. Where are we at? All right. Uh, oh, there we go. With faith and love, which are in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am 
chief. He considered himself the chief of all sinners. However, for this reason, I obtained mercy that in me first, Jesus Christ might show all long suffering as a pattern to those who are going to believe on him for everlasting life. Why was Paul the chief of sinners saved? So that you would know that Jesus can save anyone. That he has long suffering for you. Paul's blasphemous insolence, persecution, the chief of sinners. And he says, I did this. I obtained mercy that in me first, Jesus Christ might show all long suffering. As a pattern to those who are going to believe on him for everlasting life. Now to the king eternal, immortal, invisible, to God who alone is wise, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen and amen. Because it is all the honor and glory that belongs to him. Paul was a saved sinner, described himself as the chief of sinners. He understood God's grace and his love and his mercy and his peace and the hope and the joy so intensely and so intimately. This is how I feel about what God saved me from. It's just incredible, beyond belief. This is why I'm here and I preach the gospel, hoping that the Holy Spirit lets it go out with power that some of you might come to know him because I know what he's done for me. So we study the book of Romans, Lord willing, you're going to see this passion for the gospel, the good news that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, right? This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. So you're going to see that theme it's one of the themes that you're going to see. And when you see it, I want you to understand that it's not just some dry theology. This is what Paul is living about. This is intense and intimate and emotional and strong for him. So as we go through it, and maybe sometimes it seems a little dry, it wasn't dry to him. It, wasn't, it was very life to him. You also need to understand that Paul thinks like a philosopher or a theologian, and he kind of writes like a lawyer in a lot of ways. He makes arguments. His arguments sort of build on one another as he persuades the reader, or the Holy Spirit inspires him to persuade the reader through the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's a persuasion. So always look for words like therefore. Therefore is an argument word, right? Uh, this happened and this happened, therefore this happened. So you're going to see the word therefore. Always be looking for that as we study through because when you see it, it means that what comes before it is an argument. And actually what you have is argument on argument on argument on argument on argument building through, all the way through. And then you get to a point where he sort of, boom, here it is. And then I would look at it kind of like this. Romans 1 through 11 is like this continuously building argument. And then Romans 12 through the end of the book is application. It's where it gets sort of applied out. Okay? Now, there's still arguments there, but it's, uh, it's very applicable. So, writes kind of like a lawyer. Uh, and when I say argument, I don't mean like quarreling. I mean making a point. Okay? Some people are like, I don't like arguing. It's not that kind of argument. It's fine. Um, Paul is also an apostle. Lord willing, we'll talk about what it means to be an apostle in the first century who the apostles were, what that meant in terms of who they were to the church and their authority over planting churches and over overseeing churches and things like that. We'll talk about that, Lord willing. Um, but he is an apostle and known as the apostle to the Gentiles. The apostle to the Gentiles. The last thing I want you to understand about Paul um, is that he was used through the power of the Holy Spirit to plant a lot of churches. 
Okay? As we walked through Acts, we kind of showed this, these missionary journeys he takes, and he goes to all these places, and he plants churches, and he comes back and visits some, and he plants some new ones. So he's got all these churches that have been planted. And Paul was inspired by the Holy Spirit to write letters to those churches, letters, some of which we have, that are Scripture. Um, but the letter to the, to the Christ followers in Rome, it's not a letter to a church that God used Paul to plant. It's not even to a church that he had ever visited. It's an important part and an important point to understand this versus, say, 1 and 2 Corinthians. Okay? Paul has written to the Romans without having visited Rome, without knowing that church or the church is there. Uh, Romans 1.13, Now I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that I often planned to come to you, but was hindered until now that I might have some fruit among you also just as among the other Gentiles. So Paul has not been there. He is a stranger personally to them, probably known in some, at some level by reputation, but he's a stranger to them personally. So this letter is coming not from sort of intimate friend to intimate friend, but from an apostle to a church that he's never been to. So let's summarize really quickly what we know about Paul, because it's 1115. Um, he's a Jew who understands the Jewish faith intimately. Okay, that's important that you understand that. Trained under Gamaliel. He, this guy knows the Jewish faith. He's also a Christ follower who understands the Christian faith intimately, okay? I mean, he writes more in the scriptures about sort of the theological understanding that we have of who God is and who Christ is than probably anyone else in scripture, okay? Or at least in the New Testament. He's the apostle to the Gentiles. He's very, very, very excited about the fact that he was saved by the grace of God through Christ Jesus from being a persecutor of the church to being an apostle, He's well-educated, writes like a philosopher, a scholar, and a lawyer. He's never been to Rome, to this church. Okay? That's what you need to understand about Paul. And these, and these things, well, I'll remind you of these things as we go to it and why they have an effect on what we're reading here contextually. Okay? Let's look at the background of the Roman uh, Christ followers real quick. First of all, you need to understand the context of Rome itself. Okay? Rome is the premier city of the Western world. Okay? It is the city at this time. This is where the emperor is. This is where the politicians are, okay? This is where the money is. This is where the people are. This is a big city, big city. People from all over the world come here. Uh, many, many, many religions, okay? Most of the people were polytheistic. It's just a $5 word, meaning that they, they paid sort of religious worship to many gods, many idols, often including the worship of the emperor himself, as a deity. So there's like this emperor cult where they worship the emperor. And that's expected, right? In fact, they were pretty tolerant of religious diversity, but generally you had to include that one of these gods you were worshiping was the emperor. They did not like Jews and Christians because they were monotheistic instead of polytheistic and did not accept the emperor as a god or any of these other idols. They worshiped the one true god and they, the Romans did not like that, okay? They were known to be morally corrupt people. Not just idol worshipers, which they were. They were sexually immoral, prideful, arrogant, and violent. Okay? This was a city that was extremely broken in sin. This is a city that Satan was having a good time doing his thing. Okay? It was a very broken city. And in the context of that, that is where these uh, Christians, these Christ followers, are living their lives. Now, there is not a substantial difference between that and us in the world today. Okay? If you look at what's going on amongst those who are unbelievers, what you will find is that their view of life and their worldview is so much different than yours. And you're having to live alongside 
being a light, being the body of Christ, being his hands and feet, being salt and light, showing the gospel of Jesus Christ to these folks. So that's what these Christians are living in and doing. The letter to the Romans that we have here was likely written in 57 AD, okay? So we know that Jesus died and rose again, right, let's just say 33 AD, okay? There's some speculation we could go three years kind of either way on that. Um, but let's say 33 AD just for ease. So we're talking about 25 years later, roughly. Jesus has, has risen again. Christianity has started. The church in Rome, we're getting this letter in 57. Paul was likely in Corinth when he wrote this letter, and he was headed back to Jerusalem to bring a gift, an offering to the poor Christ followers in Jerusalem from the churches in Macedonia and Achaia. Okay? So he collected this offering for the poor people. There was, a, there was all kinds of trouble, and there were people who were starving and poor who were followers of Christ in Jerusalem. And he's like, hey, Christians over here, you've got some wealth. Why don't you give a gift, and I'll take that gift back. And there's speculation about what the reason for this was, maybe not just to help them, but also the Jewish Christians in Jerusalem who had some issues maybe with the Gentile Christians throughout the world. Maybe it was a way to show that they loved each other show, you know, and, and help them to, to join together and be more united by bringing this money to them to help them out, okay? Here's what uh, Paul writes by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to the Romans in chapter 15. Whenever I journey to Spain, I shall come to you, for I hope to see you on my journey and hope to be helped on my way there by you, okay? So he's saying, listen, I'm planning to go plant churches in Spain. I'm going to come to you first, and you know what I want? I'm going to do the whole put the slides up missionary thing, and I'm looking for you to help me out on that, on that trip. I want you guys to be involved in the church planning and, and supporting the church planning work in Spain. Um, but if first I may enjoy your company for a while, because he wants to love them and see them too. But now I am going to Jerusalem to minister to the saints, for it pleased those from Macedonia and Achaia to make certain contribution to the poor, for the poor among the saints who are in Jerusalem. So that's where Paul is. That's what he's about to do. So his, his mental headspace is, I'm about to go back to Jerusalem with this gift. Now, I just read you this defense he's making to the Jews. That's what happened. He went back to Jerusalem, and they kicked his bottom. They beat him up, the Jews there, okay? He got arrested, and you know where he ended up? In Rome. <laughs> that's what happened. He had to appeal to Caesar. He ended up going by Rome, not by choice, but by force, so this is where his headspace was, though. He's about to go to Jerusalem and do this. This is somewhat important to understand what was sort of on his mind. Now, in 57 AD, the Roman Empire was ruled by a fellow named Nero. Very vile person. I mean, very, very vile. Like, surprisingly, shockingly vile person, if you read the history. Eventually, he persecuted Christ followers by doing such things as uh, putting them on a stick and lighting them on fire to uh, light up his parties. Okay? This is how he felt about Christians at some point. Uh, not a nice guy, okay? Not a nice guy. We're like, our politicians are the worst. Well, until they stick you on a stick and light you on fire, you know, it's not as bad as these guys had it. So keep that in mind. Um, but there's another wrinkle that, that I think we need to understand. In the culture of the Christ followers, the churches in Rome, Okay, there's a number of kind of house churches that were going on in Rome. Just kind of like here, we have a number of churches. There's a church across the street. There's a church down there. There's a church over there, which praise God. I'm glad that all these Christ followers are, are worshiping God this morning. Uh, but Rome was somewhat similar. They had a number of churches uh, meeting in, in homes, okay? The churches in Rome are believed to have been started by Jewish Christians, possibly those who at Pentecost, remember at Pentecost, people from all over the world who were in Jerusalem for that feast, 
The Holy Spirit comes. They speak in these different languages. So if you were from Rome, somebody was probably speaking in Latin. Some fisherman, some yokel from Galilee, all of a sudden speaking in, in Latin about God and who he is. And so those, those Jews would have heard that. So 3,000 that day get saved. You know, this stuff happens. Stephen gets martyred, and they all go, push. They go back to where they came from. They bring the gospel with them. So we think, or people think, that it's very possible that the church in Rome, rather than being started by one of the apostles, was actually started by Jewish Christians who came back from Jerusalem after Pentecost. I think that's distinctly possible, which means that for the first 20 years or so of that church, it was a Jewish Christian church, meaning that the Jewish culture, Judaism, would have been prominent. They would have celebrated the different feasts. They would have the, the different holy days. They would have done things the way that Jewish folks did things, okay? Circumcision probably would have been a very common uh, way of, of doing things. I don't know if you know what that is, but it's painful if you're a Gentile. Um, and they're like, hey, you should probably do this. And they're like, I'm sorry, what? Um, <laughs> I'm sorry, what? Uh, what's, are you going to have a cigar? What is that thing that you got, the cutter thing? I don't know what's... <laughs> Um, anyway, <laughs> we won't put that in the online version. All right, listen, <laughs> Jewish culturally, okay, Christians, but Jewish culturally. Now that's fine. Gentiles would have joined this church, but they would have been coming in as Gentiles into a culturally Jewish church. But then there's a little wrinkle there. Paul well, let, let, me, let me say it this way. Paul was mostly um, starting and planting churches that were primarily Gentile. Okay, so you have to understand that. He would go to these places. He would go to the synagogue. He would preach for a while. They would normally reject him. Be like, get out of here, Paul. We don't like this Jesus stuff. You're, you're messing with our traditions. And he would say, fine. I'll go to the Gentiles, and the church would start as Gentiles. Listen to this, Acts 18, 5 through 7. When Silas and Timothy had come from Macedonia, Paul was compelled by the Spirit and testified to the Jews that Jesus is the Christ. But when they opposed him and blasphemed, he shook his garments and said to them, Your blood be upon your own heads. I am clean. From now on I will go to the Gentiles. Okay? And he departed from there and entered the house of a certain man named Justice, one who worshipped God, whose house was next door to the synagogue. So Paul's like, done with you. Your, your blood's on your own heads. This is an idea um, of the watchman, right? He's, he's proclaimed the truth. You've rejected it. It's no longer on him. Now he goes to the Gentiles, and the church that comes up has some Jewish Christians, but it's primarily Gentile and Gentile in culture, not as into the whole snippy-snippy and all the rest of that, okay? Not necessarily following the Jewish customs or, or the Jewish feasts and holidays. That wouldn't have been a thing for them because they were Gentiles, all right? So, Paul's got all this experience with Gentile churches. This church has come up as a Jewish church, but then in 49 AD, the emperor expels all the Jews from Rome. This is very interesting. You have to understand this to, to get where we're coming from in Romans. We have a couple of historical notes on this. The first is from the book of Acts, Acts 18, 1 and 2. After these things, Paul departed from Athens and went to Corinth, and he found a certain Jew named Aquila, born in Pontus, who had recently come from Italy, that's where Rome is, with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to depart from Rome, and he came to them. Okay. Then we have from Suetonius, a historian of Rome, says, Since the Jews were constantly rioting under the leadership of Christus, as he spells it, he, Claudius, expelled them from Rome. This is from Suetonius, Lives of the Twelve Caesars. I'm sure you're going to read that. This was cited by a guy named Robert M. Grant. So 
the, we're, we're, some historians speculate that Christus is Christ, right? And they speculate that what was going on was these Jewish Christians who were following Christ, Christ followers, were having problems with the other Jews in, in Rome who were not Christ followers. And that was very possible since that seemed to happen just about everywhere they went. So this is what they think may have happened and maybe why they were expelled from the city. We don't know that for certain, but it's possible. It doesn't really matter. Either way, they were expelled from the city. And when they left, only the Gentiles were left in the churches. Okay? Only the Gentiles were left. So the churches in Rome would have likely then taken on a decidedly Gentile culture. They probably would have looked very different than the Jewish cultural influence that was there before, that was dominant before. Now it went from Jewish cultural influence to Gentile cultural influence, which probably wouldn't have been a big deal except that in 54, Claudius dies and the Jews come back. Okay. Now, you may be thinking, so? Well, that sounds good. That it all worked out. Well, I want you to try to imagine something. Let's just imagine that the governor of the state of Washington said to us, everyone who was under 55 years old, you are expelled from the state of Washington. Leave. You got to go. I know our governors don't do things like that, they don't, but let's just assume that they were willing to do that kind of thing. So everyone under 55 leaves. They go away. Governor's term is over. They come back. In five years of only people over 55 being in the church, is it possible that it would have taken on a different cultural influence? With the, yeah. <laughs> See? I, that's exactly who would do it too. Anyway, listen. The music's probably going to be a little different. The time that we meet might be a little different. All kinds of stuff might be different because culturally people over 55 tend to be different than people under 55, right? Especially the further from 55 on each side you get, culturally you get much different. So then the governor, the new governor gets elected. Oh, come on back under 55s. They come back to the church and the church looks very different. Now here's what happens. The people who are over 55 who are now the leadership of the church who had, who had culturally made it the way they want are thinking, I like the way things are. And the people who are coming back are like, I like the, th the way things were. And so the people under 55 are going, hey, maybe we could. And the people over 55 are like, psst, psst, nope, we're going to keep doing it our way because we have found it really works. We love it. We love it. <laughs> people under 55 are like, this is a problem. Even to things like what you focus on theologically could be different. People under 55 maybe are like all about outreach and evangelism. People over 55 are all about studying whatever it happens to be. Right? They're, they're, they're study, they, we want to just study all day. No, we want to go out and help the poor all day. And like, you know, whatever. So you have different, even, even focus. Now, this is what's happened. It was a Jewish church. They left. Only Gentiles were there. They're doing the Gentile thing. Okay. By the way, I don't know if I've told you this. Gentile is just anyone who's not a Jew. Okay. So all the people, the kind of the Greek culture there, the non-Jewish people, they're doing their own thing. The Jewish people come back and they go, you're not following this. You're not, you're not doing this, observing this holy day or this Sabbath. No snippy. Like the whole thing, right? They're like, what's going on here? Why are we doing it? The songs might have been different, whatever. Okay. So this is the context that was 54 AD. They started to come back. 57 is when Paul writes this letter. He's familiar with the context. And so what we're going to see, we're going to see a lot of things. So one of the things you're going to see is Paul reconciling Jew and Gentile together 
moving for unity between the two, explaining to the Jews why God loves the Gentiles and to the Gentiles why God chose the Jews as his chosen people and how the whole story works out beautifully. This is a massive theme within the book of Romans. If you don't know all the stuff that I just told you, because it doesn't say that here, it says it in other places, but if you don't know that, you're going to miss some. So keep in mind these kinds of themes as we're going through it. As we're going through, okay? The church in Rome is set up for some tension. And trust me, it's more than the tension of what would happen if the 55 and under left and the 55 and over stayed. Mostly because our 55 and over are so hip. And so they would be, it probably wouldn't change much, right? But if it did, and really it's not about what's right or what's wrong, which Paul's going to get into. It's not like if the 55 and older crowd started doing things in their culture that it would be like wrong and for their people to be right. We'll get into that in kind of chapters 14, 15. Um, that it's just different. And so how do you be unified? We live in a church of people from zero to 100. And so we learn to be unified. Everyone's cultural influence is involved in this church. And we just become who we are together, the body of Christ, organically. But when you take out, in this case, the Jewish Christians and then bring the Jewish Christians back, you have this tension. All right. We have a lot to study. And honestly, it's very exciting. Very exciting to be humbly approaching the study of God's word, the scripture in the book of Romans. The most important thing for today that I want you to understand, if you're not a Christ follower right now, if you know people who are not Christ followers who are in your life, this is what I want you to understand. This is so fundamental. We read it earlier. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. However, for this reason I obtained mercy that in me first Jesus Christ might show all long suffering as a pattern to those who are going to believe on him for everlasting life. Now to the king eternal, immortal, invisible, to God alone who is wise, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that we're going to see, Lord, if it's according to your will, we're going to get through uh, studying this book and we're going to see so much about your grace, unmerited. We didn't earn it. It's this favor, this gift that you have for us, Lord. I pray that if there are people who are listening to this today or sometime in the future online and they don't know you, that they would come to know you, that they would come to experience your love, that we would just rest, Lord. Sometimes we walk around this world when there's just this tiredness just kind of in our chest, just kind of weighing us down as we deal with all the nonsense of this very broken world as we get to the end of the age. And all we got to do is put our eyes towards you, have both of our hands be strong in you, and we can go through anything because you love us and you protect us, and by the power of your Holy Spirit, do we do anything that we do. I pray that this church would lean on you, would allow your power to work through us, and that we might be, see people come to know you and to be saved. Jesus, please save this people in this town, in this city, in this region, in the Portland metro area, in Washington, Oregon, Idaho, wherever, and around the world. Lord, bring people to you. Have there be a revival of the power and work of your spirit. God, they have nowhere else to go but death. I pray that you'd bring them life and that you'd use us. We want to be used by you, Lord. I know it's hard work, but if we'll study the scripture and be together, 
give up the sin in our life and walk towards you, you will give us everything that we need. God, I love you. Thank you, Jesus, for all that you are in your name.